Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Good morning. I have today's reading and it comes from Luke chapter 15 verses 11 to 32 and I'm reading from the New International Version. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give him my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to be a citizen of that country, who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father, and I say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring him the best robe and put it on him. Put a finger on his, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring a fattened calf, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father. Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who have squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Micah. All right, so first of all, welcome, hello. Thanks, worship team, and thanks, Micah, for reading. Um, We're going to kick this off with a classic, and I'm bringing it back for everyone here in person and those watching online. um, I want you to take your phones out, and we're going to join in on one of the classic Mentimeter polls. Yeah, bringing it back. 
let's dig into it. So I'd like us to be thinking in particular about that first question, right? How would God describe you? What does God think of you? What do you think his opinion of you in particular would be? When God thinks of you, does he just shamefully think about all the dumb mistakes you've made and all the things you've done wrong? Or does he celebrate the person that he's making you become? When God thinks of you, does he only think about your past? Or does he imagine your future? Your response to those questions, to God's opinion of you, will have a massive impact on how you see God. And how you see God will shape how you face God. So it makes sense, doesn't it, right? Like, if you see God as a strict, disinterested judge, then you'll face him with, like, hopelessness. If you see him as a demanding taskmaster, then you'll face him with fear. But if you see God as a loving father, how will you respond to him? How will you face him? Will you face him with love? With openness? Will you turn and run? How you see God determines how you face him. And a lot of that depends on how you think God sees you. So today, we're going to be talking about how God sees us. What he thinks about when he looks at you. Because you you are on God's mind, right? And he thinks about you all the time. And we're talking about God's grace for us. So if you've been around the church for a while, you're probably quite familiar with the passage or the story that Michael read out for us. But I'd like for us to take a look at this familiar passage from a slightly different perspective, okay? So maybe come along with me and maybe we can see what we can discover about God together. So it's often referred to as the parable of the lost son, prodigal son. Yeah, that's right, exactly. Does anyone actually know what the word prodigal means? Like, I thought I did, but apparently I was wrong. We tend to think that prodigal means like lost or separated or rebellious or wayward, but as you can see up there, The Oxford Dictionary defines prodigal as spending money or using resources freely and recklessly. So, wastefully, extravagant, exceedingly generous. So, with that definition of prodigal in mind, we can probably agree that the youngest son meets this definition, right? You can imagine he's this like really boisterous young boy who loves to kind of like live life on the edge. He's constantly pushing the boundaries. He's doing stupid things, making bad choices being wasteful of his resources. He's a bit of a party animal, you know? But he's actually more like his father than you might like initially realize. Because after all, what does the father do when the boy comes home? He throws a party, yeah? The kid's a lot like his dad. I think we find it really easy to focus on like the lifestyle choices of the younger son. It's easy, us, it's easy for us to point out the flaws and the wrongdoings in other people. I remember reading through this passage and thinking that this kid's really just an idiot, but we look over the fact that he is lost. When he comes to the father and says, father, please give me the share of the estate, he thinks that the inheritance that he's going to get is his key to freedom. He's ready. But in that same act, he's actually like deeply rejecting his father and who he is. It's a really interesting moment culturally, um, if you ask for your inheritance, it's like saying to your father, I wish you were dead. Yeah? 
I'm ready to go on with my life. Can you just like move aside? And also within that society in the ancient world, if you did that, you'd be disowned not just by your father, but by the whole community because you're walking away um, from something that you were designed to carry on in partaking. So this is a really bold move for the youngest son. In the ancient world, the father's response is meant to be like a refusal firstly. That's what should happen. And then a punishment as well. But the father doesn't do that, does he? His love is greater than that. His love is so great that he doesn't want to hold his son back. He wants his son to freely love him, but he's not going to force that. Although the son has attempted to sever the relationship with the father, the father chooses not to make that the truth. He allows his son to take his inheritance. So the son doesn't think twice. He leaves home. And we actually don't know how far he travels, right? What's great about this parable is that Jesus tells, no, that Jesus tells, is that he lets you kind of fill in the gaps. But you can imagine it may have been like a long time, right? He's gone off to a distant country. There's no Ubers to drive him there, no planes to fly him there. Um, He's walking, yeah? And it would have taken a while to get there. He spent all of his money and ends up feeding the pigs. In verse 14, we see that he has spent everything and has nothing left for there was a severe famine in the land. There's a sense in which this, like, this excitement, this adventure that he has, it's what he's looking for, it's finally failing him. He comes to the end of himself. And what's the result? He's hungry. He finds himself in a really difficult place. Maybe you might find yourself in a similar place, not necessarily feeding and eating with pigs, but you might feel like there's a famine. You've actually come to the end of yourself. You're tired of meeting the requirements of this world. The world keeps telling us if you're good looking, if you're intelligent, if you're wealthy, you'll make it, right? Or if you have an education, a really good job, if you have really good connections and networking, if, 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 endless cycles of if, that just leave us tired and hungry, wandering endlessly. Yep, there's something that you think is out there that you know must fulfill that need, right? Perhaps you've never encountered the Father's love. Perhaps you're here today and you're looking for something. Or maybe you have encountered the Father's love, and, but for some reason you've found that you've wandered off. Not quite sure how you got there. And it just feels like an eternity since you've been able to feel the Father's presence. You're just lost. And when the son comes home, what does the father do? He runs out to his son, throws his arms around him, kisses him before the son even says a word. It's unconditional. He then says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Aren't these actions like reckless? Isn't the father being exceedingly generous with his resources? The story is not just about the prodigal son. It's about the prodigal father. And that's exactly how our Heavenly Father sees us. He pours out His love for us. He puts the best cloak around us, even though we don't deserve it. In 1 John 3, 1, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So God is the Father. We are His children. I'm sure each of us can think of a ton of reasons why we should not be able to come home. We can think of endless reasons why God should be ashamed of us, right? It's because we know our stories. We know our past. We know our present. 
We know the things we've said about, you know, the kids at school, the people in our workplace. We all know our weaknesses, our sins, our mistakes, our habits. We know the distant countries that we've wandered off to. The distant country, as seen in this parable, is any place you go to in your heart or in your mind where you don't want God to know you're there. You don't want the Father to see you. And we all know our own distant countries. And so does God. None of that is a surprise to him. He knows all of it. And yet, he still loves you. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying what you, we do is like, not important. It matters very much to him. God hates sin because that's what separates us from him. That's what takes us away from home and drives us away from him. But through Jesus, God has made a way where there was no way. He's made a way for us to be forgiven, to be restored to God. God is the one that receives us. I think many of us have this like idea that we think we have to like straighten up and change our life in order to come home. I've got to behave myself a certain way. I've got to stop doing certain things before I get back to church or before I can pray or before I can be a part of God's family. We think that we have to clean up our act and start acting holy in order to come home. But that's not how it works. Only God can make us holy. And he does it through his gift, the gift of his grace, provided through Jesus Christ, his shed blood, his death and resurrection. God just says, come. You don't have to change your life before you come home. Just come home. And then we'll work on all that other stuff later. Just come home. Simply changing your behavior won't make you holy. God makes us holy by making us innocent, washing it all away. And then with the help of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's word, and in the fellowship of the body of Christ or people of God, community, we begin that process of cooperating with God in the character change of living out what he is like birthing in us or becoming the people he's always wanted us to be. It's then that we begin to change the way we think. Changing the way we live, act and respond, living differently, living as family members, not because we're trying to earn something from God, but we're doing it out of gratitude because of his amazing grace and mercy to us. And that's what changes our behavior. It's not the other way around. <clears throat> Once you accept that truth, that you don't change in order to be accepted by God, that you're just simply accepted by him, <clears throat> then he'll work out that change in you. That truth can have a huge impact on how you see yourself and on how we see other people who aren't followers of Jesus. But we need to break through a few barriers first in order to get to that truth, especially if we're trying to tell God how he should see us and how he should love us. If we try to force our own perspective onto the Father, like we know better about him, how will we be able to let him tell us how he sees us and how he desires to love us? And this is one of the barriers that the older son has to work through. Obviously, this meme isn't an accurate representation of God's attitude towards his older son, but it's a conclusion that we often end up drawing at first glance, right? Although he's been with the father the whole time, he doesn't actually know the father. He's unaware of the man that, has lived with, that he's lived with, the man that's loved him, the man that's cared for him, the hands that have held him and taught him how to work the land, and the hands that still hold out to him. 
the plight of the oldest son is a choice to trust. Trust that the father is who he says he is. And it's so interesting that actually when you look at this text, although it makes you want to compare the two sons, they actually come to the same point. They say the same things, but they just say it in different ways. So in verse 19, the younger brother says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men, i.e. make me a slave. In verse 29, the oldest son says, look at all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You see me as a slave. I'm not worthy. It's the same thing that these two sons are crying out for. It's the same blindness that they have. Father, you just see me as a slave. Just call me that. That's the younger son. Just give me a place to sleep. I don't need any more. I know I haven't earned it. I know I've been bad, but just call me a slave. The older son's like, all you ever see me is as a slave. I've worked so hard and that's how I earn my right and I'm good. But now I'm just a slave to you. You don't see me. I'm never going to be anything else. I'm not worthy. It's the same heart. It's the same cry. And if you think about it, the oldest son, perhaps you recognize a part of him in yourself, he is the one that's meant to take responsibility. In the ancient world, he would be given the full inheritance, well, what's left over after the son. <clears throat> the younger one has taken a lot. He's called to take care of the father and the mother, to carry things on. But when did that opportunity, that position, become his identity? Something changed at one point when he grew up. And he thought he had to earn it. But the father actually never asked that of him. He conveys to both of his sons who they actually are. His response is the same. It's compassion to both of them. He runs and he goes out to both of them. The oldest son is just as rebellious as the younger when he comes home and when he chooses not to enter the party. That's actually a really significant act. He's being quite like defiant again. Like culturally, as the older brother, he's meant to celebrate with the family. He represents authority and an alignment with what the father wants. And so for him going and saying, I don't agree with what you're doing. I don't think you're treating the youngest son right. I'm going to be defiant. It's communicating something to the father, but also to everyone else there. And again, it's as if in that moment, the father kind of like receives another stab in the heart. But his response is not one of like retaliation, although he feels pain. He doesn't act unjustly. He simply acts in compassion. He goes out to his son and his first words in verse 31 are, my son. The word that Luke uses here in the original Greek is actually a really affectionate way of addressing his child. It's not just son, it's my child, my son, my precious son. Although he clothed the younger son in a robe, puts a ring on him and shoes on his feet, he clothed the older brother in an affectionate term. He brings him close in a different way. So to the older, he offers a different kind of intimacy, a different opportunity to be with him. And I love that about God. Like we're all wired different ways. We come to him in different ways. We have different journeys. But his love is still the same. How it works out is different. What he says to you is different to what he says to me, but it's still the same heart. The parable, this parable in particular, is so powerful for so many reasons. 
But it's also a bit frustrating because there's actually no end to it. It's a bit of a cliffhanger. We don't know if this younger son stuck around, if he changed his life, if he behaved himself, cleaned up his act, if he stepped into his role as son of the father. We don't know if the older son chose to stay away or come and join in with the celebrations. We don't know what happens next. And maybe that's the point because we never know what's going to happen next. And so we can't wait or hold back, withhold love and forgiveness from so-called sinners until we see how they're going to behave themselves. And it's because our love and forgiveness might just determine what happens next and how they respond. How do we respond? How welcoming are we to others when they come home? The father did not say, oh, sure, you can come back and be a servant. And if you change your life, and if you prove yourself, and if you can do it long enough and work hard enough at it, then maybe I'll let you back into the family. That's not how he responded. It was immediate acceptance. We have an opportunity to step into a father or motherhood of compassion and be more like the father in this story. I'm sure when we read this passage, we can immediately think of people, loved ones we're grieving over, because we can see that they're lost. And so our heart for them is to know the Father's love so deeply. I know that there are people in your life that, you know, you feel that pain, that grief and love for. That's the Father's heart. There's power in experiencing that and holding on to that. We are marked by it and shaped by it. But we're also shaped by God who can change that. And we need to feel it and not deny it. We need to let it fuel our desire to see them return home. In verse 20, it says this, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. So what are you filled with when you think of that person who was a long way off? Are you filled with doubt? Are you filled with hope? Does it fill you with anger, with love, with compassion like the father had? Can you imagine what the older brother would have said if he'd been the first one to see the younger son coming? Who do you think you are? What makes you think you can come back here? You don't belong here anymore. After all you've done, after all the mistakes you've made, the way you hurt our family, and the way you squandered everything and ruined everything, what makes you think you belong in a place like this? You can just imagine what he would have said. I believe that one of the reasons that people do not come home that they don't come to God, is because they're afraid of his judgment. They haven't heard about his prodigal love. It's because of a fear of his judgment. And I also believe that even more people do not come home because they're afraid of our judgment. The rules and regulations of it all, they're just not going to fit in around here. They're afraid that they're going to be judged by the elders and older brothers and sisters of the church, the self-righteous people. They're not going to fit in or measure up. It's not going to work out. They're afraid of all the hurdles they've got to jump over, the hoops that they've got to go through, the conditions. And so they stay away. I don't fit in there. I don't belong there. I'm not good enough. They stay away, or maybe they're chased away through us holding people to a code of conduct that we enforce on others, even though they don't know Jesus. Jesus doesn't call us to a code of behavior. He calls us to friendship. He calls us to a relationship. He calls us to himself. And we attract people to Jesus by attracting them to ourselves. If we're mean-spirited and judgmental and harsh and demanding, we're not going to attract anybody to Jesus. 
But if our lives are filled with the prodigal love of God, a love that is patient, kind, humble, gentle, generous, if we're filled with that kind of love, if they can see that response from us, well then, just maybe, they can taste and see that the Lord is good. As the band comes back up, remember those questions that we tried to work through? What does God think of you? What's his opinion of you? How do you see him? If you see him as a loving, heavenly father, then you have a decision to make. What do you do with a love like that? How do you respond to the prodigal love of God? The lavish, undeserved, outpouring, that offering of identity, the forgiveness and grace that he offers us. How do you respond to a love like that? Well, you can choose to walk away from it, to ignore it and say, oh, it's too good to be true, or that's for other people. That's not for me. Or you can surrender. You can give yourself over. You can allow yourself to be loved by your heavenly father and let him embrace you with his amazing love. It's your choice. You can come home or you can stay in your distant country. But the father loves you and he's waiting for you to come back. All of us have a decision to make. I'm sure there are some of you in this place who might not have made that decision yet. I want to give you that opportunity to choose to come home. You're not coming home to the anger of God. You're coming home to the love of God. All you've got to do is come home and turn your heart to him, and you'll find him running to you, embracing you and receiving you. So let's pray together. Loving Father, we thank you that you are the prodigal father. You excessively love us, even when we don't deserve it, and are always moved to compassion when you see us. Now, if you're one of the lost who want to come home and be embraced by the love of God to experience the joy that he has for you, if that's you, I want to invite you to pray with me. Not to say anything out loud, just pray in your heart and your mind right now. Just say, Heavenly Father, I want to come home. I've been in a distant country. I've run. I've been doing things on my own. And I don't want to do it that way anymore. I want to be a part of your family. I want to experience your love for me. And so I just want to tell you, even though I'm not worthy to be called your son or your daughter, I'm receiving your gift right now of salvation, of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. You provided the way. And Lord, even though I don't understand all of it, I just know how desperately I need you. So with all that I have and with all that I understand at this moment, I open my heart to you. I come home to you. I ask you to receive me. I receive your gift of grace and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And I ask you, Lord, to put me on a pathway of life that will partner with you to live according to your purposes and your plan for my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.